a revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're talking about one of my favorite things, decluttering. Oh, it is not something I can handle in my house. I do not like clutter. I can't work until things are put away, until the house is quiet and settled. It's just part of my craziness. And so I'm talking to Cassidy Nicello from Felt House about the KonMari method. And if you're a new or expectant parent, you know that babies have stuff lots of stuff. And as the kids get older, they have more and more stuff and toys. And especially if you're a city dweller and you may not have a ton of space, how do you deal with all this stuff? So Cassie and I dive into that. So if you're in that nesting phase, or maybe you're overwhelmed by the amount of toys your child has, then I think this podcast episode is for you. But before we get to that, I have a few thank yous I want to offer. So I want to offer a thank you to Margaret Sullivan, who made a very generous donation to the podcast. Now, sometimes not everyone's able to make a financial donation. Sometimes they are. And when they do make the financial donation, just know that it goes to helping keep the podcast running and smooth. I am not a one-woman show. I have a whole support team to get this podcast going. So thank you, Margaret, for your contribution. On the other side of a monetary contribution, you can offer your contribution of your words and support. And I just was checking out the iTunes reviews, and there's one I want to read to you. Their latest one that came in from, I love this name, Rap Lover 411. And this person writes, I love this podcast, not boring at all. I have learned so much and love the positivity talking about pregnancy and birth. It has been very reassuring. So thank you, Rap Lover 411, for those words. And I'm glad we're not boring them. <laughs> Hopefully I keep things moving along. All right, so the thank yous go to that. And I'm also wanting to announce, I'm super excited that it is down. I got it going. My next Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi, we are starting April 2nd. It is a five-week online course for yoga teachers or practitioners who want to know how to support the pregnant student in class. If you're a pregnant practitioner and you're still going to open-level classes but want to have a better sense of what you should or shouldn't be doing, maybe this is for you. I think it could be. And if you're a pregnant, if you're a yoga teacher of general classes and you have a pregnant student wander into class and maybe you panic, you're like, what do I do with that person? This is for you. So it's not a full prenatal training. I have my 85 hour trainings, but this is for taking care of the 
pregnant population among the general population. It's an online course. I'm so excited. I started it last November. I think I ran it. Um, and I was hoping to only get 10 students. I got 12 and I'm going to double it this time. So I'm going to max it out at 24 spots. And I actually already have a few people signed up. So hooray. So if that rings true to you and you want to join me online, please check out from my website or you can go to whosafraidthepregnantyogi.com. Um, and then just a, a shout out to the Richmond, Virginia teacher trainees. We finished last week, not last week, in the weekend before. They rocked it out. They were amazing. I'm already correcting their exams and they are fantastic. And we've already gotten some of their final classes in and they're fantastic. So shout out to you people. And then we're filling our fall teacher training. Um, we only have a few spots left and then we're back in Charlotte and back in Richmond and then back in the spring. I can't believe I'm already mapped out <laughs> to the spring of 2020. So lots of good stuff going on. All right. So I've talked enough and let's start to hear from Cassidy about organizing your stuff. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to talk with Cassidy. A revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork baby monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, Cassidy. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Hi, so glad to be here. All right. So listeners, you know, I always like to be transparent. I'm going to give you a heads up. It is President's Day, Monday, 9 a.m., and we both have young children. So <laughs> while we're both hiding away, I'm up in my bedroom and I sent my husband with my kids downstairs and Cassie said she did the same thing. So just yeah. wanted to give you the heads up that we are working mamas and <laughs> sometimes family, you know, jumps in. So if you hear the pitter-patter of some feet and some children voices. We're going to go with it. So <laughs> let's just roll with it and see what happens. So how are you this morning? I'm great. I'm great. I Look, any excuse to be uh, hiding from the kids for a little <laughs> while is, is a welcome one. So thank you. No problem. Yeah. I told him about some like 9 a.m. podcast. He's like, really? I'm like, that's what we're, that's what we're rolling with. So let's just start with a little bit about, tell me about yourself and how you got into the whole career of organizing. So it, you know, it, it hasn't been a lifelong career by any stretch. I don't think anyone, you know, goes to college with the aspiration of being a, a professional organizer, right? Um, so it's it's sort of a, a natural journey, um, but a fairly recent one where it all kind of came together. I um, had been over a decade in the advertising ad sales space and had been quite successful and working my way up the corporate ladder, so to speak, but feeling uh, progressively unfulfilled, um, especially as um, I, you know, had this entrepreneurial bug that I, you know, I couldn't quite escape. So I decided to take probably a quite expensive route to figure out what I wanted to do, which, which meant I went to business school. Um, so I went to Columbia 
university. I did the executive program while I was working full time um, in a management position uh, in ad sales and um, just really wanted to have the ability to, to spread my wings a little bit, though I wasn't sure exactly what that track was going to look like. And then uh, the story goes, I got pregnant halfway through business school, so I <laughs> wouldn't recommend that uh, <laughs> to, to anyone really, but uh, we love our now four-year-old, so it all worked out. But it was a very busy time. I came out of business school, went into the startup space, uh, had a really exciting taste of what startup like life looked like. Um, and then the, you know, challenging side of startup life is that there is uncertainty. Um, and so the company I was working with had, uh, to lay me off because they did not continue to get funding for the media project I was working on. So after a two year run there, I was laid off and had to lay off my whole team. And that's when I kind of had my big pause of, wait a minute, what do I really want to do? And that's when I took a beat and took some time and really did some soul searching and, uh, and realized that my passion of working closely one-on-one with people of, you know, business building of running a, a sales related business, but more on the human side, uh, was something that I was really capable of doing. Um, and so I had simultaneously been on the mailing list from Marie Kondo's, uh, newsletter. So she, for those who don't know who she is, she's really the ultimate guru to organizing, um, Japanese superstar now as a Netflix series. She wrote the life-changing magic of tidying up. Um, and she was coming to town to certify people as professional organizers in her KonMari method. And so I went just almost in jest, like I thought it would just be kind of a fun kick to go to this uh, certification seminar for three days. And I came out of it uh, saying, this is going to be my new career. And the rest is history. I love that. I I am actually the opposite of a hoarder. So when I when I stumbled upon you, I'm like, this is the woman to talk to. So <laughs> I tend to, and I'm really interested in the KonMari method. And I feel like it's kind of a buzz thing right now, especially since the Netflix. And when I heard about it, I'm like, ooh, someone that, you know, in, encourages people to throw stuff away. I'm like, that is my lady. Um, <laughs> I tend to go to the to the side of it where I like getting rid of stuff because I hate clutter to the point where I'm like, ooh, I probably should have kept that piece of paper because it was important. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like, oh, that really would have been a good idea to keep. <laughs> so for those that don't know about the KonMari method, can you explain it a little bit? Sure, absolutely. So truly it's it's not just a way to organize, it's it's a lifestyle. So the KonMari method is a, a focused way of organizing one category at a time. But really at the root of it, you're evaluating your belongings based on whether or not they quote unquote spark joy. That's sort of the signature question that Marie asks. Um, does the item that you're considering and evaluating whether or not to keep it, does it actually spark joy? And and it's a very simplistic, uh, it sounds simplistic, right? But our emotions are not simple, right? So it's, you know, it's not always easy just to say yes or no, because all of our thoughts creep in such as, well, I spent a lot of money on this, or it was gifted to me, or maybe I'll need it one day. So that tends to kind of complicate our thoughts, which is, you know, part of why decluttering is so challenging. 
But it really does have to stay as simple as, do I like this or not? Forget how much it costs. Forget who gave it to me. Forget about the, you know, theoretical future that I can't even quite imagine. Um, but just simply, does do I like it, right? Um, and and that's really the root at uh, how you decide what to keep. But but in terms of the sort of brass tacks of it, you really have to evaluate things one category at a time, starting with clothing, then books, papers, uh, kimono, she uh, uses that word kimono to reference miscellaneous things. Um, but they're really subcategories like kitchen, wear, um, beauty products, linens, etc. And then lastly is the sentimental category, which has to remain last because that's the most emotionally charged one and can kind of derail you from your decluttering process. So it's important to leave that last and face those old love letters when you're good and ready, which may be a year or two beyond <laughs> your initial decluttering journey. Um, but really to call everything together from one specific category. So for example, for clothing, you truly have to gather every last article of clothing and empty every drawer and take every last piece of clothing out of the closet, off of the, the hanging rack and, and make a big pile because you really have to have some awareness of what you have. And, uh, to, in order to get that kind of sticker shock of, wow, I've, I've accumulated more than I realized, or I really don't wear most of my clothes and see things a little bit more objectively, but without judgment, but just see things in a little bit more of an objective light out of the kind of dark closet that you're used to, you know, fishing through when you're trying to get dressed every day. And, and that approach of taking everything out of its um, initial kind of place is the way you approach every single category so that you can have an objective look at, at everything that you have and have a holistic understanding of where you're at. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit this must take people a very long time, or do you it's think people do it? Set, like, do they do it kind of like one piece at a time in like a week, or what do you recommend? It's a it's a real commitment. You know, it's not something that you just sort of like dilly dally. And uh, if you really want to see success, it does require a focused commitment. And and I know whether or not you know. Usually, when clients reach out to me, they're ready. Um, but sometimes I can think of some friends who wouldn't be ready for this process right now. They're kind of okay where they are, and you kind of have to have that itch to scratch, you mm -hmm. know, before you face. You know, you have to be ready to face the music, and so. For, for clothing alone, um, when I'm working with a client, I, I ask for a five-hour commitment um, up front, and sometimes it'll take two sessions to get through one person's clothing. It really just depends on their volume and how long it takes to make decisions. Um, but, you know, it's I, I, do, I do say it's important to try to go through all the categories within a 
pretty good clip um, at a pretty good pace over, I don't know, for one person, it could be a couple weeks. For one person, it could be a few months. But to try to keep some momentum because you really want to feel the results of the before and then the after, right? When you feel that dramatic change within a short period of time, you're more likely to sustain it. Um, And you also don't want to feel like you're decluttering forever. I mean, I think that's where people's biggest pain point with decluttering is they feel like they're always decluttering and they're getting nowhere and it's this sort of vicious cycle. But, you know, when you, when you declutter with the Mari method, it's very, you know, it's a very deep process rooted again in your emotions. And so it's hard. So it's, it's, I kind of go for the bandaid effect to be honest. And I think that's just the best way to go. Well, you were mentioning kind of the before and after, how have you seen decluttering the whole decluttering process change people's lives? Oh man, where do I begin? (laughs) Changing jobs, losing weight, uh, reconnecting with kids, more family dinners, people who I have one client who just told me that she, you know, when we first started our work together, she said, you know, this is not our house forever. We're, we're committed to moving. I don't like this house. I can't entertain here. Um, we really spent barely any money on it because we just, we just want to sell it and move on and get the house of our dreams. And after quite a bit of work together, she just told me last week that they think they're going to actually stay in their homes. So, uh, uh, you know, people are falling back in love with their homes. They're honoring their belongings more. They're spending less money because they're more conscious of what they have. They have a, a heightened awareness of their own inventory, so they're not sort of mindlessly or blindly shopping. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, another woman said she started to write again. She realized she had uh, put off writing because she was afraid what she was going to write was going to be bad. So she just kind of would scroll on Instagram a lot and do some online shopping on her Sunday and futz around and quote-unquote organize when really she knew that was her time meant to be writing. And now she's already writing again. So it's, it's pretty incredible. And and that's the whole point of the KonMari method. It's, it's not to get rid of things for the sake of getting rid of things. It's to shed the things that aren't serving you, that aren't sparking joy, that kind of elicit negative emotions in order to make physical space, but also mental space to really pursue your dreams. And so it ultimately isn't about the stuff. The stuff is just sort of the part of the journey to get to really your, your bigger dreams and goals. I can relate to that. I have this thing that I need to have. Now, I work a lot at home. I do three days at home and two days in the in, in New York City at the yoga studio. And I can't sit down to get my work done until my workspace is decluttered and the kitchen is clean. And you might, I mean, I'm a little type A, so <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll own that. Um, but even if my husband leaves like stuff on the uh, shelf behind my desk. I just, I feel like the clutter affects the energy of my productivity. Maybe that's a little bit out there, but I don't, I don't, I I think that's true for, I think some people don't even, they, they're not even aware of it. You know, I kind of challenge a person that says they're kind of okay with a mess that I, because maybe that's just what they know and that's what they're used to. But, but the power of a clean surface right? When you're ready to sit down and get focused is, is pretty incredible. So, you know, I, I, my goal is to get most of my client services totally pretty bare with the exception of the things that really do speak to them and, and spark happy emotions. Um, and it, it is a pretty powerful impact. Yeah. I remember even this was years ago when Oprah talked about cleaning your wallet out because it affects the energy of abundance. Like Mm. I know every now and then I'll just shove receipts in my wallet. And then Mm. once a week I'm like, it's just cluttering. So I think I'm on the the obsessive side of decluttering. Um, (laughs) 
which is good for new parents. We'll get into that because I know babies, as you know, you have a one and a half year old, they just come with so much stuff. So we'll get to that because that's a cluttering issue of like, there's just so much stuff. Um, But before we get to that, what are some of the biggest obstacles people face when they're trying to declutter their homes or office? I, when they start to self-negotiate, right? So it's usually when, you know, it helps to have me there as a consultant or, or supportive friend or family member, because what happens sometimes when you're alone is you can feel, you can talk yourself into keeping anything, right? So you can, that's sort of why it's challenging to begin with. So I would just say to listeners that as soon as you start to have a dialogue beyond yes, I like it, or no, I don't. As soon as there is a dialogue that starts with, well, maybe, what if, that's when you need to stop yourself in your tracks and, and, and maybe even justify the reasons out loud, even if you are by yourself. Actually say out loud why you think you should keep it. And, and hearing those words out loud might, uh, might stop you from keeping something that really doesn't spark joy. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. Um, all right. I had a few more things I want to talk about before we get into the whole parent thing. So when you're working with someone about decluttering and organizing, what, what do you do when they hit resistance? You know, like you're working with someone one-on-one and they, you go through their clothes and, and clearly something is either out of style or doesn't fit them, but yet they're still holding on. How do you help them get past that? Sure. I'll never tell, and I've never had to tell anyone you should get rid of this, right? This, it has to come from, um, it has to come from the person. It's their belonging and it's, you know, and so what we'll do, I'll I'll have them talk me through why they think they should keep it. And sometimes it's best to just set that aside, that item aside, if it, if it is a sticking point for them, because I do want to keep some momentum and I want to build their confidence in their decision-making. So we start with the things that they love, right? The easy wins, right? And anything you do, right? You start with the easy wins, right? So what makes you feel really good? I don't care if it's ratty sweatpants. I don't care if it's like killer knockout suit that makes you feel super sharp, but let's extract the things that make you feel really good. And we'll set the bar there. And then let's go for the things that you kind of can't wait to see out of your closet, right? They've just been nagging at you and you just need someone to tell you it's okay. It's okay to donate them. Right. And then when we get back to those sticking point items, you tend to approach them with a little bit more confidence. And even then, if they're still kind of nagging at you and you still feel like you're not ready to let them go, I say, keep them with confidence, put them in your closet where you can see them, not in a box under the bed or in a different room, own it literally and figuratively. And then usually what happens, um, is, two things. Most often after a week, it's sort of annoying them. It's in their closet and it's sort of sticking out like a Thor thumb, mm-hmm. sore thumb. Um, <laughs> or they may be fall in love with it, which is great. Um, but, but do own it with confidence. And, and usually, you know, after a week or so, how you really feel about that item. Do you ever help people just figure out where to donate things to? Yeah, for sure. I, I care a lot about thoughtful donation. I mean, I see a lot of clothes go out the door, right? So I tend to ask um, clients, you know, about organizations that speak to their hearts um, and to, to donate thoughtfully. And I'll guide them based on where we are geographically uh, to some places, you know, be addressed for success. You know, some places, Goodwill is inundated right now and not all of their clothes make it to the racks. So I try to find places first where people really need it, women's shelters, et cetera, churches. 
Do you have a website? I'm just thinking about, I know when I lived in the city, I had um, housing works a few blocks away. So I did, I loved housing works. I did regular trips there. But now that I'm out in the burbs, I went through my closet when I kind of switched from summer to winter and I pulled out about 10 pairs of corduroys that have been sitting in my trunk in my my car because I've been driving around and be like, yeah, I'm going to donate these. And then I have stuff that went from my New York apartment to one house to another that I'm, I don't know where to donate to. So where, so right. you're saying Goodwill is yeah, not it's, ideal. It's a, I tend to sort of lean on that as a last resort. Um, you know, there's geographic, it just depends on where you are. I'm in Montclair, so oh, I know a I'm in South bit of, Orange. I know, oh, I'm not neighbors. that far. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I can give you some ideas from around here. Um, you know, but it's, yeah, it does take a little bit of effort. And, and I also tell people for this very reason that you had mentioned before you even begin your, uh, tidying up journey to, uh, establish where you're going to donate things and to, call, see when they're open and actually schedule it because people do have bags in their houses of things they want to donate. And sometimes even renegotiate those items out of the donation bags back into the closet. (laughs) So it is important to establish where and when you're going to donate before you start pulling everything out of your closet. So just start to go online and see, because we literally have a crib mattress that my daughter got out of her toddler bed like a year ago, and we still don't know what to do with it. It's, it every time I walk into the basement, into the storage room, it's just, it's big, and it just annoys me because it's taking up space. And I'm just like, I just don't know where to send it to. So yeah. just get online and start yeah, looking like at places. Yeah, North Porch is a place in Patterson. They also went in Newark, and that's a women's shelter, and they need baby toys oh, and clothes. Okay. So I would call them and see if they would take a mattress for sure. Oh, that's great. And that brings me to baby stuff. So I... <laughs> Because <laughs> they babies have so much stuff. We had our first child, and when we're living in New York on the Upper West Side, and I'll say our apartment. This is being generous, maybe 550 square feet. And again, I don't like clutter; it makes me a bit crazy. So every night, I'd put everything away. But there's just so much stuff. There's stroller, and then I remember having a bouncy seat and a swing, and then all their clothes. Like, how do you help parents? deal with all the, you know, get their house or apartment ready, especially if they live in a small apartment. Yeah, it's hard. I I came from city living as well. I had both boys, uh, in the city in a small apartment and, um, we only just moved out to the suburbs, not because we had spatial constraints. It was more of a career shift than anything, but so, you know, for, for pregnant moms, you know, it's, be careful what you register for, right? So really try to be conservative what you put on the registry. Um, think about the big bouncy contractions. And, you know, each kid is different. Not every kid likes the Mama Roo or whatever that thing was called yeah. um, or the swing. You know, it, it just, you just don't even know what kind of baby you're going to have until you have the baby. And so, you know, as best you can hold off on getting all of those things until you know what kind of solution you think you need to look for. If you have a baby, a newborn who needs constant motion, then okay, then maybe you can go out and look for something that will give your arms a break. Um, but uh, before you even have the child, I would really try to um, be careful about what you bring in the home because that is the challenge with baby stuff. Once it's in your apartment or your house, it's very, it feels like very hard to get it out. Um, so 
they, you know, babies really, I know people say this, but it's true. Babies really don't need a lot. You need a bunch of onesies, a bunch of diapers and wipes. You know, I use the Kikaroo changing pad. I put that on a dresser. Um, I was, you know, spatially savvy. So I wasn't, I didn't get like a whole changing table. I got a dresser and I put that changing pad on the dresser. Mm -hmm. So that was efficient. Um, but you really don't need a lot. So try to try to hold off on getting all those contraptions until you know what kind of child you're going to have. I found a bit of a trap as we knew we wanted two kids. And so as my son outgrew all his stuff, we didn't get rid of it because we're like, well, we better save it for the second. And so we just kept compiling more and more. And then as he got even older, we like when he was about six months, we thought, okay, well, we also need an umbrella stroller. So then we ended up having two strollers because in the mm-hmm. city, you can't take, we had, um, oh, what was yeah. it? The upper baby Vista. Right. Like we can't take that on the on the bus. Subway. So then I uh-huh. had the subway I was able to negotiate because I was on 70 seconds. We had a uh, elevator, but we mm-hmm. couldn't take it on the bus. So then I had two strollers and all the baby stuff. It's just, there's, and then people give toys and it just started to get a little crazy. So do you have some suggestions for optimizing space with all the baby gear coming in? So I, I had the same scenario. I knew we were going to, well, I, I'd hoped for two and we're so lucky we got two kids. Um, and so I too was storing away the clothes and labeling them based on age. And, you know, but I, I was careful about what I did store. It wasn't like, okay, he's outgrown it. I'm just going to throw it in the, you know, the bin for, you know, six months, six to 12 months. I actually looked at the item and said, okay, is this in good shape? Is it stained? Right. Because, um, you know, I, I wanted to be thoughtful about what I, but I kept right. And I didn't know how long it was going to take me to get pregnant again and how the clothes were going to hold up. Um, so, and you know, like I didn't keep stuff with spit up, you know, sometimes we just sort of blindly store things mm-hmm. away for ourselves or for our children without really evaluating kind of the shape that it's in. Um, as for the, you know, the stroller, we had the same deal. We had a, we had an umbrella and then we had the whole, and then we had a jogger and then we had a travel one. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, part of it is just, I have to say it, part of it is just like, this is the chapter that we're in, you know, yeah. I mean, it's really hard, especially in the city when you're, you know, you have to navigate different, you know, ways of getting around town. And so you need different contraptions It it is, you know, kind of where you're at, where I think you can have control, you know, control you can, right. So the toys, right. I just don't think kids need that many toys. I, you know, I, I tell my clients all the time that the fewer the toys there are, the better, more interactive the play is going to be, and the more they're going to value their things. So you have to remember that as a parent, you are the gatekeeper of what comes in your house, right? And so if your in-laws are buying you like the biggest bounce house, whatever contraption, you, you know, you have to try to alert your family before it's like gift giving time and say, you know, we're really um, trying to keep the space simplified. If we're overwhelmed by the stuff, it's we're already overwhelmed by just being parents. Like, I love that you want to get um, the, you know, the baby gifts. Do you think you could keep some of the larger items at your house so that when we come to visit you, you know, they have the excitement of all these new and fun toys, right? And that might make them think twice about getting the big things if it has to live at <laughs> yeah, grandma's house, right? so, yes. But you have to remember that 
you're not a victim and you are the gatekeeper of your home and what comes in your home. Right. So if something just feels too big, you have to be okay. Right. And I know it's not easy saying we love this. Thank you so much. I just think it's not going to work with our like living space. You know, we'd love to exchange it or try to exchange it when you can, um, and get credit or, or what have you, but it does sometimes require a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation, but ultimately no one wants you to keep something that's not serving you and that you don't want. Right. You have to remember that. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I also found that we got some shelves and I, I, first I'm like baskets, let's get baskets. And then I found as I put the baskets on the shelves, there was stuff that we, my son pretty much, and then when my daughter came along, it's happened the same thing. Only played with stuff on the top of the basket, and yet there was a ton on the bottom. So I got rid of the baskets, and I kept yeah. things on the shelves so that they actually mm-hmm. saw the stuff, yep. and yep. then I kind of just stacked upward. So yep. do you have some suggestions for decluttering kids' toys? Because now we have a playroom, and everything goes in the playroom, so I don't even have to see the stuff. But yeah. As birthdays come along, more and more stuff comes in, and I don't know how to get rid of the other stuff. Sure. Um, so, again, the quality of play is always goes up as the toy volume goes down. You know, it's like when it's just a dime a dozen and one toy can get tossed to the side as another one comes in without even giving it kind of the respect that it deserves. It's just it's really hard to teach kids, like, the value of their things when they just have access. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, when it comes to gifts, you have to remember you are the gatekeeper, right. Of what gets put in the playroom. So for my son's birthday, you know, first of all, we've been putting off, this sounds really like, I don't know, cold, (laughs) but we've been putting off like the big birthday parties for a long time. And for his whole life, really, we've just done, he's all four, but we've just done family birthday parties. And my mother-in-law gave me this great tip. You, You should have the number of kids at the party as the age that they're turning. So he just had his fourth birthday in December. He had four friends. And yeah. And other than that, anything over that can be kind of overwhelming for them. And the, the volume is hard to control when it comes to gifts. Right. So, but he did get a lot of gifts and his birthdays in December, so close to the holidays. So we did, uh, and he didn't even remember what he got really. So I did hold some back in reserve and put them in a closet because I just wanted him to enjoy things slowly. And so I didn't just put them all out. I definitely held back about 75% of his toys And, you know, if there's a crafty thing, I waited for a rainy day to pull that out. So I'm really curating it and trying to create kind of a toy library, if you will, so that what he has at his fingertips is, um, is, is really thought out, um, and taps into the different kind of senses that I want him to tap into when he's playing, like, you know, a little bit like the Montessori style approach. Mm -hmm. I love the Montessori. I drink that Kool-Aid. Both my kids did Montessori. So yay. I'm glad you mentioned that. Do you ever rotate the toys. I tried that for a while. Like I'll pull some out and then and they don't usually even notice it. And then when they seem bored with it, they have, I kind of throw the other ones back in. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm a big fan of that. I do that with books too. I'm oh. a big believer that, um, that the, the book pile should be, you know, quite simplified, you know, like you could grab them all with one hand in theory or two hands from the bedroom. Um, I think that the connections that kids make with the characters in the books is much more meaningful when they have some favorites that are always, always present and, you know, at their fingertips. And so in their room, they have, um, 
that there's the favorites and then there's usually a couple library books. And I really try to cap that at a couple, um, that they get to pick. And then, um, then we have, uh, elsewhere, uh, a little less handy, the, the bigger volume of books. So if they feel like they want to refresh, then we go to the bookcase in a different room and select another book and kind of add that into the mix in their bedroom. That's a great idea. I know that we have, I mean, so many books and I go through maybe two, three times a year and try to pull out and we have a place to donate books in my town. So I I get rid of a lot of books, Um, but we just keep getting more and more and more books. So I like that you, you have a a small handful. I want to ask a little bit about decluttering the stroller. I remember city living, my diaper bag (laughs) was just like Mm. exploding with stuff. Do you have any tips for decluttering the stroller and diaper bag? Yeah, I think just Marie Kondo talks about emptying out her purse every day, which sounds kind of insane to people. But if you can build that into your routine, it's pretty amazing what it can do for you. Um, And so taking that same approach to the diaper bag or the stroller, just making a habit of uh, emptying those vessels out um, at the end of the day. So I'm a big fan of... um, I'm a big fan of packing cubes. I swear by packing cubes because I'm always changing bags, always packing up for What's one kid. What's a packing cube? So it's essentially just like a nylon sort of cube looking thing that has a mesh lid that zips around and it just allows you, it's like a pouch. It just allows you to separate things within a bigger bag. Um, I know like the original packing cube, I think, maker was Eagle Creek and they, um, they're like sold, um, online at the container store. And there's so many different, if you just go on Amazon and you type in packing cube, it'll be like a a ridiculous number of results. But the idea is that it just allows me to separate categories. So I, it keeps my kids clothes separated. It keeps, I have one cube that's just diapers and wipes and, you know, diaper cream. Um, and, and so that I just pull out the cubes when I empty the bag and then I kind of know what I'm looking at. Um, and I think that's just the best way. So that way I don't have a heap of stuff and I, everything I do is with the packing cube. Whenever I go away for a weekend or on a vacation, everyone's clothes are separated by a cube. So there's just no confusing things. That's great. So you don't have like an accident with your child and you're like, okay, now I have to dig out and pull out this yeah. onesie here. And I yeah. like that idea of like, okay, this is so-and-so's cube. It's packed. It's great. I'm ready to deal right. with whatever's happening. That's exactly. smart. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I think I'm going to steal that for when we travel. <laughs> <laughs> Good. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you about tips and advice for new and expectant parents. We'll be right back. Waiting on a tax return. Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. And we're back. Great. So I'd love to start to wrap things up and hear about a piece of advice or tip you can offer for a new or expectant parent. I think decluttering before the baby comes, and it's actually, I think, almost innate, right, for expecting uh, mothers that nesting bug is there, right? So like, use that. And, and 
try to declutter as much as you can before the baby comes because you'll just have a, a peace of mind and you'll feel like you're baby ready and that you have space and room to grow. Um, don't feel like you need to fill every drawer. Keep, you know, even if you have some drawers that are empty and there's room to grow as things come in the door, it'll just make you feel a lot more sane because when that baby does come, all you're going to care about is just feeding the baby, diapering the baby and getting the baby to sleep and bonding with the baby. So the stuff, all that, all those things just kind of tend to fall to the wayside. So the more you can do to, you know, create physical space before, um, before you have your child, I think the, the better and more you can enjoy that special time. I like that. And I know that you have two youngish kids. Was there one thing that you got either pregnant or postpartum that was a game changer for you? The, that Kikaru changing pad I'd mentioned, I love that because you can wipe it down so that you're not always, especially we didn't have laundry in the city, so you could just spray it and, and clean the changing pad. Um, I also had just like a simple felt uh, diaper caddy that just allowed me to change the diaper wherever I was moving around. I just had like, you know, my essentials kind of in this little handy caddy that I took all around the apartment. So that was really handy. But that's it. That's really smart. And I love everything you're talking about, about the decluttering and the KonMari method. Where can people find your work? So thank you. So my website is www.felt.house. Um, and my Instagram handle is at felt.house.nyc. I will make sure all that is in our show notes. And just curious, where did it felt house? Is that more like how someone feels about their house? or Yeah, where? it's a play on, on the tactile and, and the emotional side of the tactile. Oh, I like that because you're talking about like the felt caddy. I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's where that came from. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for your time. I really Thanks, appreciate Beth. this. And I think a lot of people are you know, overwhelmed. You know, they're pregnant, they're, they're registering for stuff and a lot of city living, there's just not space. So I think you gave some really solid piece of advice that people can take a deep breath, take a beat and then not feel overwhelmed about going forward and have some plans. So I think it was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate mm. your time. You too. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.